Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 154 with Tristan White. Tristan has earned recognition for building the best place to work in Australia, which is pretty cool. And he shares his own story and lessons learned along the way. So you'll walk away learning one, why Tristan quit his dream of working with elite athletes. Two, the one key question you should ask before committing to anything. And three, the power of noticing alone. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep154. And while you're over at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our cool resources from the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course all about slashing waste out of your work week to liberate additional time or the Gold Nugget email summary insights in which each guest's wisdom is condensed, the best tidbits that you can read in under two minutes in an email are sent to you each morning when there's a new guest. And if you say, Pete, that sounds cool, but I won't remember to do that, all is well. If you simply text the word N-U-G, that's NUG, short for Gold Nuggets, text N-U-G to the number 444-999, you'll sign up that way. So when you come to a complete safe stop and you'd like us to take the notes for you, you can text NUG to 444-999 and you'll be all set right there. Now, here's Tristan's story. Tristan White is the CEO and founder of The Physio Co., providing over 200,000 physiotherapy consultations for seniors every year. For eight consecutive years, The Physio Co. has ranked as one of Australia's 50 best places to work and was named the winner of BRW's Best Place to Work in Australia in 2014. Tristan also runs a blog and regularly speaks at conferences and company meetings. Here is Tristan. Tristan, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. You're welcome, Pete. It's fantastic to be on your show. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. So you are a pretty busy fellow, I imagine, and it's early in Australia as we're speaking. And so your claim to fame is having created the Physio Co. and having grown it to receiving all these awards associated with being the best place to work in Australia. So could you maybe just orient us to the story of how this company came into existence from conception to now and what makes it sort of special and different? Absolutely, Pete. A strong culture is a passion of mine, but I think it's important that we go back to the start. And it's important to know that I'm a qualified physiotherapist, as it's known here in Australia, or physical therapist, as I think it may be known in the States. Mm -hmm. And I went to college and I studied physical therapy and I had this real passion to or what I thought was a real passion to use those skills and work with elite athletes and work in sports physical therapy with people who um, were hopefully professional football was the sport of choice that I was hoping to uh -huh. become a sports medical specialist in. And I started my career and I started working in the junior level of elite sports and just one year into my physical therapy career, I had this real challenge, this real conflict that my head was saying, Tristan, you're on the right track. This is the career you want. And my heart was saying, Tristan, this does not make you happy. This is not something you can possibly enjoy doing for the next 20 or 30 years okay. of your life if that's what you think a career is. 
And as just a 23-year-old recently graduated physical therapist who had started his career in a certain direction, I had a big conflict. And Pete, I was embarrassed at this point because I had told my friends and family and whoever would listen that elite sports physical therapy was the direction my career was headed. And just a year in, I was really struggling with it. And so I actually left that job and I was without a job for a period of time after five years of university and my first year of my career. And if I could pause for just a second, I'm so intrigued. Of course. You weren't feeling it. Can you tell me, you know, what were the key elements that weren't resonating with you and, and how did those kind of show up for you emotionally? The first six months of that job, I was so engaged and I was working from a caseload of zero patients to between 80 and 100 patients per week is what my caseload grew to very quickly. And I was a junior physiotherapist that I was really battling with being able to provide a great physical therapy outcomes for my clients. And I was really battling with just being the best communicator and the best rapport builder and the best time manager to stay on time were some of the things I really was focused on. But Pete, the thing that really struck me emotionally was the fact that I didn't get professional satisfaction from helping people to run faster, jump higher, tackle harder, Hmm. which is what the elite athletes were coming to me to be able to return from their injuries for. And in the grand scheme of things of their lives, they were 90 to 95% functioning in the health of their daily lives. It was this elite part of their sports that they really wanted to improve at. And I personally, I had thought that that was going to really inspire me. But what did inspire me, Pete, and this is where I've headed to, is the fact that I got much more personal satisfaction from helping people that were much less functioning in their lives. And I'm talking about elderly people who may not have been able to walk the distance they wanted to walk or be in pain. And an example is an elderly person who I worked with in that first year who came into our clinic. And this person had a goal of quite simply being able to walk from their house down some stairs out to the front gate and to be able to collect the mail from the mailbox after it was delivered every single day. And that was so important to them and they couldn't do it. And I was able to help them through some treatment on their hip and their knee to really improve that function in their lives. And these were the emotions that I was battling with was I wanted to do something useful in the world that made me professionally satisfied. And yet the elite sports wasn't doing it, but helping ordinary people with ordinary challenges be able to be better in their lives was something that I was much happier with. But I was so personally embarrassed by this uh, realization so early in my career. Okay, well, but you push past it and then what happened? Yeah, so Pete, I left that job and I reflect on what I wanted to do with my career. And in short, I wanted a job that inspired me and I was surrounded by other people, the other positive people that also enjoyed what they were doing. And I think most of us, that's what we're looking for, Pete. And I looked and I looked and I searched for a job that I thought would inspire me and I couldn't find it. And okay. very sheepishly, Pete, without telling barely a soul except my parents, I got a part-time 12-hour-per-week job at a elderly people's home in the northern suburbs of Melbourne here in Australia. And it was not a nice place in terms of the physical environment. It was old and it was a bit smelly and it was not the elite environment I um, thought I'd work in. But Pete, that 12-hour per week job where I got to engage with the 30 elderly clients of that aged care home and help them with their physical needs to be as mobile, safe and happy as they possibly could be was the starting point of my career in building what has become the PhysioCo. And so from that 12-hour-per-week initial part-time job, 
I then started working some other elderly people's homes. And within one year, I had more work than I could personally handle. And I, I saw another option but to ask for help. And I started employing some other physical therapists. And that was way back in 2004. And if we move forward 13 years from there, which is a reasonable amount of time, Pete, the mm-hmm. Physio Co now has over 100 physical therapists and we deliver more than 200,000 consultations to Australian senior people around the country, helping them to do exactly the same things that I was doing in those early days. And that's helping them be as mobile, safe and happy as they possibly can be. Oh, that's great. And God bless you. I know my wife has been visiting some PTs here and there. And it makes a world of difference in terms of if the knee is working well and it's like, hey, you could walk, you could run, you could do stairs with ease versus it's working not so well. Like it hurts and you have lesser ability to just do what you want to do. It really does make an impact on folks' lives. And I can understand and appreciate how it's sort of like in some professions, there's a listener who said, I don't know if I'm all that amped up about helping my rich clients get richer, <laughs> but you know, they may be more amped up about helping those who are financially struggling, you know, get to a place of financially okay. And similarly, you on sort of the physical dimension, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And I think that, um, as I've mentioned a couple of times, my heart was really challenged by my career. I made a change. I was nervous about it. I was embarrassed, but I engaged and I got great professional satisfaction and knowing, and I got a, such a hard time from my mates who, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're like, Tristan, what are you doing working with those old people for? And they just didn't see the same satisfaction that I saw. But interestingly, it made me happy and I stuck to it and I've stuck to it for quite a while now. And just in the last few years, as the Physio Co has grown significantly, we've built this strong culture and we've been ranked as one of the best places to work in the country. This has all happened as a result of a lot of hard work. But those very same people who were giving me a hard time were like, well, you know what? That sort of aged care thing, that sort of worked out for you, hasn't it? And, uh, <laughs> and I guess I tell that story because I think there's so many people in their careers, in the first decade of their careers or first two decades, that sometimes they think they can't make a shift, they can't make a pivot. And I, I want to encourage everyone listening that be brave, be brave bold, make the move in a direction, but you do have to give it a real shot. You can't just continually move. You have to make a decision then give it a real shot if that's the direction that you do do choose. Oh, I like it. And that's so good. I'm thinking now about the book Happier by Tal Ben-Shahar. I don't know if I'm saying his name just right, but he makes that point when it comes to career considerations that happiness is the ultimate currency. And I totally agree. It's like, it may be less prestigious for a moment, but if you're digging it, then that's what matters. So very good, very good. So that's your story. And thank you for going a little longer there than we usually do on your story. But I think that's great and resonant for folks looking at potential career switches. And so tell me, you have 100 PTs employed right now and you have an award-winning culture, a best place to work kind of a vibe. So you know, are these PTs servicing facilities? A kind of Is it sort of a diffuse network or is there kind of an office or workplace? Uh, like, I guess... How do they get together and have a great culture exactly? Yeah, so fantastic question. And it is an interesting concept because the PhysioCo has got a really strong culture and we have been ranked for eight years as one of the country's best places to work. And yet I'm in our central office, our support office here in Melbourne right now. And there's only about half a dozen of us support team here in this office. And the rest of the team, the 100 PTs, are located in aged care homes, in retirement villages and in the private homes of elderly people who are receiving our service right now at 8.50 a.m. in the morning on a Wednesday. 
here in Australia. Earthy risers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so the way we're organized, Pete, is that we're organized into eight separate geographical teams and they're teams of between 10 and 12 PTs in any group. And those teams are led by a team leader. So they're spread right around the country of Australia, but they're connected by their team leader and they're connected by this very strong values-based culture that we've created, which is based upon our core purpose, a set of core values, and a very, very repeatable rhythm of communication, which keeps people really connected to the great work they're doing to the organization and also to the other team members as well. So it's quite a diverse group, but we're connected by a central purpose of existing to help seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. Okay, well, I want to dig into each of some of those areas you outlined, but first, just so I can visualize the scene a little bit better, can you tell me, so these teams, how often do they sort of get to physically see each other? Yeah, so they're connected online. So every PT would be seeing at least a small number of their other team members each week. Okay. And so they do cross over. They do work at some of the same aged care homes. Right now, there might be two or three PTs from any in one team at the same location with different elderly people. Mm-hmm. And there might be some of them who are working independently who do not see each other. So there's both some bumping into each other, so to speak, at the same location each week. But there's also social events that happen once a month and also learning events that happen on a regular fortnightly, monthly and quarterly basis as well. And so there's a bit of a rhythm of communication we have, and that is the team leader communicates with each of the team members every single week, if not more often. The the PTs themselves bump into each other and work together at various places throughout each week. And then we have this rhythm of coming together as small groups on a regular basis and then rhythm of coming together as a large organisation on three times per year. We come together for a celebration and also some learning as well in terms of the connection we have. So they're the physical ways we communicate. But of course, we've got many online ways that we communicate as well. Okay, well, that's really cool. So now I'm oriented a little bit. So then what are these kind of purpose dimensions and values that seem to be doing the trick, resonating and make things award-winning. Yeah, Pete. So look, the most critical bit that the physio coexists to help seniors, senior people stay mobile, safe and happy. And that critical core purpose, as we know it, is the link that brings us all together. And it doesn't matter what we're doing, whether I'm here speaking to you, or we've got our team in the office here, manning the phones and providing customer service and admin support. We've got PTs out there helping seniors. That is the critical link that we're all here. And we use that language over and over again because it's a common thread between all of us. And I think one of the critical factors in building a strong culture, in my experience, and this applies for both the leadership of an organization and the team members, and that is that everyone knows what the organization or team exists for, and they can use the language over and over again because it's like a common link, a common bond between the team members. And so we joke about the fact that we can all recite our core purpose. It's a really important part of what we do as an organization. And also, Pete, it is applicable to a team or a department within a larger organization. They too can consider what is the purpose of this department that I work in and any team member can engage in a conversation with others to say, hey, what are we here for? And what can we have a common link or common language that will really help us engage with what we're here for and build a better team? So core purpose is a starting point for a really strong culture. Does that make some sense to you, Peter? Oh, I hear you. And so now, and your core purpose, I mean, I don't know, it just makes you feel good. I mean, it just seems like there's something here beyond shareholder value and profit maximization. 
that kind of resonates with sort of the human spirit. So could you maybe give us some pointers or principles in terms of if you're thinking about the core purpose and the articulation of it, you know, what makes one good versus bad? There are some people who would disagree with me on this because there's many people who might say businesses exist only to make money. I am not one of those people and I don't believe in that theory. But a core purpose should not be about money, in my view. It should not be about making money. It should be about doing the doing of what an organization is actually about, providing value to the people that are both in it and receiving the service or product from it. And so that's why mobile, safe and happy is the outcome that we provide to our senior clients. But you know what? That happiness, which is a critical part of it, is a common link between the customers receiving the service and the people delivering it. Because if we're happy and help people to achieve their goals, other people become happy and it's a beautiful revolving circle. And so I would really encourage people to have a functional part to their core purpose, but also an emotional part to their core purpose. Okay, understood. And that's nice. So now tell me then, you say that they could engage in conversation about it. I mean, I don't imagine that you're just sort of chanting it. What are some conversations (laughs) that are emerging and how do they go exactly? Well, look, the fact is, Pete, because of our core purpose, it's a filter for what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yes. And so we have got this culture of innovation here at the PhysioCo, and I hope that many people are engaged in a a learning and growing mindset. And by doing that, we have so many people coming with so many ideas and suggestions for the future. But when they bring ideas, the question is, does this align with our core purpose and does it help us help more seniors to be mobile, safe and happy? And if the answer is yes, then we move forward as to how we might be able to implement it. If it doesn't, it's a very clear end of that conversation. And people now understand what they need to be bringing in terms of suggestions. Oh, I love that. So we got one layer of just the kind of binary. Yes, no. You know, Is it kind of more people or more kind of quality associated with the more mobility, more safety, more happiness? And so at the same time, I'm thinking, boy, there's probably a lot of things that passed into the yes zone. How do you go from the initial filter to prioritizing what's like the top area focus versus a lesser area focus? Pete, and the next step of the language or the system required to have a strong culture, in my experience, is a really clear set of core values, core values which define the behavior of a team or organization. And so the next step of the filter is then whether it aligns with the core values, because if we've got this, yes, it fits the grand overarching core purpose, but does it fit the core values? And as an example, one of the physiocos, the physiocos has got four core values, respect everyone, be memorable, find a better way and think big, act small. They're not groundbreaking core values, but if there is a suggestion that does not fit with our value of being memorable and that we do things to help seniors stay mobile, safe and happy in a memorable way, both in the eyes of the customer and the eyes of ourselves, then we may not continue with that suggestion. We might have to refine it or find another suggestion as to how we might be able to do that in the future. So I think the core purpose is the first filter. And then we dive deeper into the filter of the core values as another way to decide whether a suggestion or innovation is the right direction we should be headed. Okay. So I'm going to get just a touch more conceptual before we get into a little Mm -hmm. bit of the how-to if I may. So you've got sort of four secrets to a world-class culture. Maybe you've already Mm -hmm. revealed a couple of them to us, but can you lay them out? One, two, three, four. Absolutely, Pete. The four secrets of building a world-class culture, and these secrets are what we've learnt and tried and trialed at the PhysioCo. And people continually come to us and say, how do you do it? How do you build a strong culture? And this is the summary of how we've done it in our business. And the four secrets is firstly, discover the core. 
And the critical parts of Discover the Core is purpose and values that we've spoken about already. The next step is document the future. There is no question that, in my experience, that people in a team want to understand not only what the business stands for, but where it's headed, what's important to it, what are we working towards? And so without a very clear vision as to what the future will look like, and I'm not talking about an airy-fairy, we want to be the best in the industry sort of stuff. It's very specific goals that we're working to with a very specific timeline. So like quantitatively, like how many PTs or how many people served or how much revenue? You got it. You got it, Pete. And my take on vision is that it needs to be in two parts. It needs to be a a very long-term North Star as to where you're headed over the long term. And in our business, we set a 10-year goal to deliver 2 million consultations to Australian seniors that we've been working towards since 2009. It's a very, very long-term goal, a long-term vision, which is too long for many people. And therefore, we break it up into three-year steps. And our very first three-year step in that 10-year goal was to grow from a team of 20 to a team of 50. When we achieved that, and then we moved on to the next step, which was to grow from a team of 50 to a team of 100, which is where we are today. And the third part of that 10-year vision, which we've broken down to, is then to almost double again to 180 team members is the third step we're working towards. And so, uh, yes, a very clear vision about the outcome of the service you're providing and also the internal team as well. So that's the second step. The third step, Pete, is to execute relentlessly. There is no question that if you've got the foundations of purpose and values in place, you've got a clear vision, unless every team member is aligned to that vision and is working hard day after day after day to bring that vision one step closer, one step closer, one step closer, and we work together in a relentless way to bring that to life, then that is the way that we make it happen. And an example of executing relentlessly, Pete, is a really robust recruiting process because unless we recruit hard and have a robust process to make sure we're getting the right people into our team, then we start diluting the culture very, very quickly. So executing relentlessly is about having fantastic systems and processes in place so you can grow in a fast way. And the last step, Pete, which some people think is the only part of building a strong culture, is called show more love. And it's the softer stuff, but it's important to note that it's so important to welcome people to your team in a positive way. And and we think it's so important to have a party, have a welcome party when people arrive. It doesn't have to be a big bash, but it does need to be a a welcome lunch or a welcome celebration every time someone joins your team. I think it's important that team members get regular recognition from senior management as well as their peers. And I also think, Pete, it's so critical that we document your culture with an inspiring culture library or memory bank because a culture is about the memories of an organization. And unless you capture them, you do miss them. And so every year at the Physio Co, we create what we call a culture book, which is something, an idea that I borrowed, borrowed means uh, copied, Pete, you know, <laughs> with giving recognition. And that's to Tony Shea of Zappos. And they've been creating a culture book for a long time. It is a yearbook where we publish some photos of the parties, of the people, quotes of our team, photos of our clients, and we really capture a year in the life of the Physio Co and share that with our team to make sure we are capturing the memories. And so to recap those four steps, discover the core, document the future, execute relentlessly, and show more love. Mm. Oh, thank you. Well, so now I guess I'm curious to hear, you know, for the numbers driven, do you have any 
cool, maybe side by side, you know, hey, your attrition rates versus typical PTs in Australia attrition rates, just to show just what this does for people's experience of work and how much they want to stick around. Yeah, of course. So the physio co has got typically high levels of retaining our team members. Mm -hmm. And in most years that we have a turnover of staff of approximately 10% per team, which some people might say is not that high in terms of attrition. I think it's important to keep in mind that aged care with elderly folk is a challenging industry to work in. There's some organizations that have close to 100% turnover of staff in any given year because of the industry we're in. And so... Yes, the Physio Co. has got a fairly high retention of staff. By the same token, Pete, like any business, we have ups and downs. We are not at this peak all the time. We have ups and downs. But the important thing in maintaining a strong culture is to listen closely to the people in your team and respond appropriately to be able to engage them in the future. Okay. Well, so now I want to hear, let's just imagine, you know, you're a sort of a individual staff person or manager of a small team. And you are in the larger context of a bigger organization. If you want to establish a great culture, I imagine you'll follow the same secrets, but you know, what would be sort of the distinctions or differences? And what would you sort of go do, you know, first, second, third to get things off the ground with a smaller unit inside a larger organization? See, the most important thing that anyone can do if they're serious about improving the work environment and the work culture is to make it their highest priority make it up there with one of the most important things they do because we see so many people who expect or want a strong culture, but they're not willing to do the work and make it a high priority. So the first thing is to make it your really strongest, highest priority. The second thing that we can all do, and this is something that I take very high focus on, is the idea of lift where you stand. And what I mean by the idea of lift where you stand is when you turn up to work on any given day, You can choose to be a positive, inspiring, and kind person, or you can choose to have your emotions go up and down based upon what arrives into your inbox or how people treat you. But I think if you're willing and wanting a strong culture and a positive environment around you, then the important thing is to be positive yourself and respond. And I'm not talking about being over the top happy. I'm talking about just being kind, helpful, and lifting people's moods and engagement based upon the way you communicate with them on any given moment. And if something bad happens, you respond in a professional and kind way as opposed to assigning blame to anyone else. They are the two most important starting points. And the third thing I would consider is having a conversation with others about how you can put some small things in play that you're all committed to, which will then help to build a little system, a little idea between two people, three people, five people, which might be a concept of catching people doing something right. I think there's so much a habit in workplaces to catch people, whether they're peers or other team members, catching people doing something wrong and correcting them, as opposed to this fantastic idea of catching people doing something right and praising them for it as a starting point to raise the culture and the environment that you're working in. So there's a few things to start from. Okay, very good. And so can you tell me then, elsewhere you have a teaser in your book and website, so I just want to make sure we cover it because it was so compelling. Have we captured the secrets of employee motivation, Tristan, or is there more to say on this point as well? Oh, there's plenty more to say, Peter. I could talk about this all day, but I think the important bit, Peter, is that all of us are people. We're humans. We have ups and downs. And I think it's so important that organizations and the people within them realize that people have ups and downs in their lives and expecting people to be at their very best and their absolute happiest all the time is just not realistic. 
But I think it's so important that we provide a caring culture because when we notice someone who's not at their best and we respectfully and privately mention it to someone, hey, you're not quite at your best today. Is it, what's up? Can I help you with something? It's often those private one-to-one conversations that can really provide a better engagement, a better link between people and result in longer-term motivation because of the caring nature of it. So Pete, I'm not one to stand on stage and do all sorts of staff motivation from a one-to-many perspective. If there's one thing I'd like to add to what we've already said, staff motivation, in my view, comes from the one-to-one engagement that we can provide and we can all be responsible for that. Okay. Well, and I'm curious to hear when you have those conversations, what are some commonly occurring answers to what's up and why people aren't at their best and helpful solutions that a peer or manager can offer? For a start, people might be a bit thrown by this type of question because they're like, hey, what are you noticing me for? But with respect and with, hey, I'm not prying here, I'm just interested, I just thought there might be something up that I can help you with. And people, the most common thing is, Tristan, it's fine, I've just had a, I didn't sleep very well last night, or there could be a very, I'm just feeling a little bit sick, I'm not quite at my best, no worries, I'll be fine. There's so many reasons why people might respond But the fact that you've noticed it not only shows that you care, but it also is a reminder to the other person that the way they act does influence the people around them. And so sometimes it's a caring response and people say, no, I'm fine, no worries, and that I can certainly make sure I'm back on track. Or secondly, the other one is, hey, you know what, Tristan, I'm overwhelmed here. I've got more work than I can possibly cope with and I'm a bit stuck in in now. And that response, Pete, is one that we can really help with. We can take a moment a deep breath, we can then have a look at the priorities, decide what needs to get done first, if there's anything that could be delegated or delayed, and really help people to be more focused on what they're doing. And so I think they're two examples which can really help people feel more motivated because they know there's a caring people around them and they can offer help when required. Mm, Thank you, Tristan. Is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? Uh, no, I think Pete, I'm good. I, I think Pete, I'm enjoying the chat and I'm happy to move on to some favorite things. That sounds good to me. Oh, fun. All right. Well, first off, how about a favorite quote? Don't dabble is my favorite quote, Pete. If you're going to do something, all in. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or bit of research? Favorite research is from my favorite author of all time, business author that is, and that is Jim Collins. And that is that it takes a very long time to build a great company. Between 10 and 30 years is the research that he suggests that I'm putting a line to that theory. All right. And how about a favorite book? Oh, my favorite little book of all time is called The Alchemist. It's a beautiful little read and I reread it from time to time and I just love it. All right. And how about a favorite tool, whether that's a product or a service or app, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I think I'd have to say it's Google Apps. I'm very mobile. And I get around and I use Google Apps every day of my life. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you flourish? I'm a very reflective person, Pete. I love to spend, to get up early in the morning, have a look out the window and reflect on what I'm grateful for and what I need to be focused on that day and then get on with the day. And again, I love that at the end of the day with my family, we've got my wife and three little kids. And at dinner time, we ask ourselves, sorry, one person asks each of us, what was the most favorite part of your day and what was the most challenging part of your day? And we share these exciting parts and challenges with each other every single day. And it's a great way to become more reflective, but also to learn and share successes and challenges with our family as well. So that's my favorite. Oh, thank you. 
And is there a particular nugget, an articulation of your message on stage or when you're working with folks individually that seems to particularly resonate and get people nodding their heads in agreement with what you're saying? Look, there is. It's a very simple concept because a lot of people think a lot of the things that I talk about, about being kind to others and catching people doing something right and having clear goals, people like, we get it, Tristan, we understand it. But the bit that people nod along to, and sometimes might be a bit different, is that you can create a repeatable system, both at work and or in your personal life, around making sure those things happen. And a welcome party for team members is one example of that. Hey, everyone thinks it's a great idea to welcome people into the team, but are you willing to put a system in place to make sure that every single person who joins your team gets a positive welcome and gets a positive start to their career and their job? Or if we're too busy, can they just show up and we'll do that later on is often what happens. So in short, Pete, yes, it's kindness. Yes, it is things that people might think are common sense, but it's a repeatable system around these things which build a strong culture that people often nod along to. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more about you or your book and your messages, where would you point them? Yeah, the best place is to head over to my home on the web, Pete, which is my personal website. It's at tristanwhite.com.au because I am down under here in Australia. Uh And so it's T-R-I-S-T-A-N-W-H-I-T-E.com.au. And you'll find my blog there with multiple hundreds of blog posts. You'll find a link. We'll put a link to this podcast and others there. And also um, you'll find an opportunity to check out my book, which is just being released. It's called Culture is Everything, the story and system of a startup that became Australia's best place to work. And we cover all this, uh, a lot of this content in that book as well. Oh, great. Thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Oh, the challenge is listen to your heart. There's no question in any part of me that says, if you're not at peace with the work you do, then you're never going to be able to do your life's best work. So listen to your heart. And once you've made a decision that your heart's in the right direction, work hard to be the best version of yourself you can be. I'm living proof that that's the way it happened for me. And 13 years on, I'm so grateful that I made that, uh, put my ego aside and moved in to a ugly duckling of the health world being aged care. But I'm so very grateful that I did. Mm, yes. Well, we're grateful for what you've shared. Thank you, Tristan. Good luck with hitting the next upcoming goals and the book and all you're up to. Uh, you're welcome, Pete. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. I got such a kick out of simply noticing makes a huge difference. Even if you don't have all the answers, you don't have all the solutions. I think sometimes that's something I've fallen prey to. It's like if I don't have the answer, maybe I'm not going to bring this up because then it's kind of unresolved. But rather, Tristan highlights the feeling dimension, the emotional component that, oh, you notice, you care. That's cool. So once again, if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the items referenced here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep154. And I do hope you'll stay tuned for our next episode. It is our first ever sponsored episode. And I think that's a good thing because of the cash money it liberates that I've already begun reinvesting in people and processes to just really ramp up our guest finding and vetting processes. It's so cool. As well as this is a cool thing I think you're going to enjoy learning about because I use it all the time. So please keep the conversation going. Pete at awesomeatyourjob.com. How you're feeling about stuff and the show and what you'd like to see and what you'd like changed. And I think you'll enjoy our next guest. It's Jim Tam. He talks about managing your own defensiveness and how that could make a world of difference. 
in diffusing some potentially conflicted situations. It's a perspective I haven't really heard anywhere else. Until then, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 